Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? And Father, we do lift your name up, God. You are the one to be glorified. And God, I pray that you have been pleased here this morning with the praise of your people. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to work in our hearts and our lives this morning. And God, as we move from worship and praise as a group of people, your church, your bride, I pray as we move from that into studying your word, looking at your word, Holy Spirit, would you guide us into wisdom and into truth and discernment this morning? May you search our lives. God, may you clean up what needs to be cleaned up. May you encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Father God, may you challenge us where we need to be challenged. And God, in the strong name of Jesus this morning, I pray for those who may have walked in here who don't, net, don't yet know your son Jesus as their savior. And God, I pray that this morning, today might be their day of salvation. Guide us this morning. God, I pray that these words would just leap off the page and speak to us in a new and a fresh and a real way. We give it to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you guys have chosen to be with us this morning as we continue in this series called He Will Come and Save as we are building up to Easter. I, I have, um, in my own personal life, uh, really enjoyed uh, the study of this particular message series. Um, I've, I probably say that every time, but um, every time God just reveals some great stuff in my own personal time leading up uh, to this. And, and I know if he's doing a work um, here that he's going to do a work here. And I'm praying that that happens this morning as we study his word. Um, if, you, uh, if you came in this morning, you received the notes, the worship folder, uh, you can follow along with those. You can also, if you have your device, you can download our app and you can follow along. The notes are there, scriptures there. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't been with us and you're a regular part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, if you haven't been with us these past few weeks, um, I want to encourage you to go online. You can go to our website or you can go to iTunes and, and get caught up, uh, listen to these messages because they do build on one another. And uh, just for the way of review and kind of to get some of you caught up to speed, uh, I just want to spend a moment this morning kind of uh, giving us an overview of where we have come from. And I think that'll give us a better understanding of where we're going today. This particular series uh, was designed and um, really my hope and my prayer in this series that it would be a foundational series for us as a church as we lead up to Easter, as we lead up to studying about um, that one that we just sang about, the resurrected King of Kings, Jesus, who came to die for our sins and three days later rose again from the dead. And, and I can't wait for Easter, but I got to tell you, uh, studying God's word uh, really from this perspective uh, of the nation of Israel has given me, and I hope it's given you, some a deeper understanding and maybe a more anchored understanding of what God was doing all throughout time not just in the New Testament, not just here with us, 
but throughout all of human history. And that's what this whole message series has to do. It lays that foundation so that you, can, you and I can have a better understanding of what he was doing when we celebrate Easter here in a few weeks. And of course, we as a church are going to come together on April 1st, and we are going to come around uh, the uh, Passover Seder meal uh, that has been uh, for thousands of years celebrated each and every year. And we are going to focus next week on that very specifically. This week, we continue the story that we began several weeks ago that began with a man by the name of Abram. And uh, we know him as Abraham today, you know, father Abraham had many sons and so on and so forth. So we begin with Abraham. We began with Abraham a few weeks ago and studied the story in God's word of God calling Abraham from a very familiar place. He lived in a place called Ur of of Chaldees, and he sent him, he actually called him out of that very comfortable, familiar place into the unknown. He said uh, he established a covenant or a promise with Abraham, and he promised Abraham uh, several things. He promised to make him into a great nation. He promised to make his name great, and he said that he will be blessed and others will be blessed from him. And in that promise, there was also the promise of suffering, which is very interesting. So we talked about that in week one, that sometimes God's promises are conditional, sometimes they're unconditional, and sometimes they have uh, suffering included with them, and suffering is a part of life, but God's promises are true. And so we talked that week about the story of really the nation of Israel going out, just Abraham and his wife and a few other people leaving and going out into the unknown. And at this point in time, we were wondering what in the world was God doing because this promise of making his name great, making him into a great nation, um, didn't look so promising because Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old. Um, Ladies, you probably wouldn't want to have a child at 90 years old, I'm guessing. I don't know because I'm not a a woman, but I'm guessing that. So uh, how was this going to happen? And so we left with this tension in the whole series of he will come and save, there's this tension between the problem and, and, and the promise. And that's the whole story of God and man. There's, there's a problem and there's a promise. Even contained in the title, there's a problem and a promise. And, and so we were wondering how we can trust God in the unknown. If God, do we really trust God to be uh, truthful to his word? And then we kind of fast forward, we skipped over a generation, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, ended up having a child, his name was Isaac, and Isaac had a child, and his name was Jacob, and Jacob became the father of 12 sons, Um, wow, 12 kids anyway, but 12 boys, whoa, I have one, I don't know about that, but anyway, and these boys ended up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, so Jacob, one of his sons, Joseph, actually gets sold by his brothers into slavery, and then we fast forward to the point in time when Jacob and his other sons are reunited with Joseph, who was sold into uh, slavery in Egypt, and Joseph takes care of his family because there's a famine in the land, and he brings them into Egypt. God tells Jacob to take your family into Egypt. They settle in this great place called Goshen there in Egypt, and they are able to live off the land and thrive. And the whole point in that story was we begin to see God's promise fulfilled because they enter Egypt as 70 people. It took 200 years for this family to become 70 strong, and they enter Egypt that way, not quite a great nation yet, but they leave 430 years later 
two and a half million, uh, most uh, theologians believe. So, wow, God's promises were coming true. And so that's kind of where we left the story uh, uh, week two. Last week, a new pharaoh comes onto the scene, and uh, we find that this new pharaoh takes that whole group of people, at two and a half million people, and he puts them into slavery. They, they go into Egypt, they're in Egypt, and this pharaoh... Uh, brings them to the point where um, they are uh, absolutely abused and the whole nation of Israel is going through its absolute darkest day. And so at this point in time, the promise doesn't look like it's going to be fulfilled. It looks like the nation of Israel will maybe live and die there in Egypt, never to get to the promised land, never to really see it grow into a great nation. And so we left off last week with the fact that we can trust God in our darkest days. And it is okay, just like the nation of Israel cried out and groaned to God, it's okay for you and I when we're in the darkest days of our lives to cry out and groan to him. But it's also okay for God not to remove our suffering from us or to remove us from suffering because his plans and his ways are better. So we've talked about trusting God in the unknown, trusting him when there's that place of danger or fear, and then we talked last week about understanding that God may not move remove our suffering now, but he will remove it later because he knows. And God knows. And that's where we were last week. Now, here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to tell you the end of the story right now. The whole culmination is going to come down to right now, if you promise not to leave, okay? Are, are we clear on that? Is that good? Don't go to lunch just yet, because the story is important. Um, here's, here's the deal. God saves the nation of Israel, all right? There you go. There's the whole story. Don't leave, okay? Because we made a promise. We have a covenant, right? Okay, so anyway, we had this promise. Um, so he saves the nation of Israel. But the way that he goes about it, as we see in Genesis 13, 14, and 15, we're going to be there today, as we watch how he does it, included in that and kind of ingrained in that is, is where you and I can learn lessons about our relationship with God. And, and so how he brings them out of slavery, uh, we can learn a lot about uh, the, the, kind of our relationship with God and the problem with sin and how sin keeps us uh, from God. And if we put our trust and our faith in him, then we can also be saved. But included in the story, we're going to learn a lot today about God and, and man and this whole story. And it's a wonderful story. It really kind of begins with when they're in the midst of slavery. And after we left off last week at the end of Exodus chapter 2, we leave off with this terrible Pharaoh putting them into slavery. And then there's a man by the name of Moses who's born. And he ends up being God's spokesman. He has, this, um, he has this encounter with the burning bush, which was really God. And God um, talks to Moses, and he tells Moses, hey, you're my man to go to Pharaoh to lead your people out of Egypt. And Moses, in complete obedience to God, says, no way, man, that's not going to happen. And he argues with God. It's this back and forth thing. A lot of you guys know the story, and you've maybe seen the movies, and you've hopefully read uh, the story in the Bible of God. Uh, and Moses kind of going back and forth. Moses, you know, kind of says, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, this is kind of passive aggressive. Like, you know, I can't talk. I can't speak. I can't be your spokesman. And God says, yeah, you're going to do it. And I'm going to provide for you your brother Aaron who's going to help you. And so finally Moses obeys God. And he goes to the Pharaoh, and multiple times he asks 
asks the famous phrase, let my people go. You guys, probably a lot of you know that phrase. And Pharaoh's heart becomes hard, and he doesn't let the nation of Israel leave Egypt. They're still in servitude. They're still in slavery. And then God sends these plagues. And it's interesting, um, Todd Cooper, our student pastor, talked about this last week um, in student ministry. And by the way, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, I want to encourage you to be here on Sunday night right behind this wall. There's an entrance over on that side of the building. Man, don't miss it. They're, they're having so much fun back there. Uh, five and seven, middle school starts at five, uh, high school starts at seven o'clock. He talked about the fact, and I loved this, that God protected the nation of Israel from nine of these plagues. These plagues were directed at Egypt, at the Egyptians, the ones who had kept Israel in slavery, except the last one. Now, some of you know the whole story, and you're going to be like, Todd, you fast-forwarded over the best part. You're right. We're going to come back to that next week, okay? So no emails, all right? Okay, no emails about that. Um, these plagues were terrible. Wa um, uh, uh, water turned to blood. There were frogs. There were gnats. Uh, probably no seams. I'm almost positive <laughs> there were no seams. I was with my eight-year-old son at Barker Field soccer yesterday, and they were swarming. It was crazy. Someone came up to me and said, you're a pastor. Can't you do anything about this? <laughs> like, don't you have this down? I'm like, oh, man, you have no clue. Anyway, and if, and if gnats weren't enough, flies, um, Egyptians, livestock, they die, boils, hails, locusts, darkness, and then the 10th plague. And we're going to come back to that next week, I promise. So we pick up this story. He will come and save, and things look very dark. They really do. It's almost like the darkest night from last week seems to get darker this week. And, and so things really look bad. Um, it looks like things uh, are growing worse. And Israel is in desperate need of salvation. Take a look at your notes this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. We're going to be in 13, 14, and 15, bouncing around a little bit, and a few other verses in the New Testament. I want to draw four points this morning that I think will help you and I understand this tension between the problem and the promise of God. Number one, God knew Israel's weakness, and he provided the path to their deliverance. I want to add to this in a very unusual way. He provided their path to deliverance in an extremely unusual way. Take a look at Exodus 13, 17 through 18. Now, all of these plagues have happened, and we're going to come back and talk about the 10th one. And then all of a sudden, here's what happens. Verse 17, this is so important, Pharaoh let the people go. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Let me like paraphrase for you. God didn't lead them on the direct route to the promised land. That's essentially what this is saying. Uh, he, he, he could have led them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said this, look at this, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, the Philistines were their greatest enemy. And God knew that if he led them on the direct route, like you know, I'm trying to go to Beaufort, and it, the best way to do it is to take 278 to Highway 17, and I'm, I'm right there, right? But God took them, like, down to Savannah, you know, and up, you know, maybe into Valdosta, and who knows, maybe through Atlanta and Columbia, um, and Athens, of course, because that's the home of Georgia Bulldogs. Anyway, and so <laughs> he led them that way to Beaufort. Why did he do that? Because he understood, I want you to capture this, God understood where they were weak. 
They were weak in that if they had seen their greatest enemy, if they had faced the giants of their life in this context, even going the direct route towards the promised land, Israel would have turned around and retreated right back to that place of slavery in Egypt. It's what we do when we're full of fear, isn't it? I mean, for them, God knew, okay, I need you to understand that, that God knew that them facing these giants would have caused them to turn around and go back to the place of darkness. Are you with me? We're no different than Israel, are we? Because when, we, when God pulls us out, when he provides a path for us, when we get weak and fearful and stressed out and scared and timid, we will go right back to that place that holds us in bondage because we don't put our full trust in God. And so God provided a different route for the, the nation of Israel because he knew if he sent them the direct route that they would retreat in a minute. It kind of beckons back to this whole idea of where we left off last week. God knew. God knows. Listen, he knows your suffering. He knows the, the, the anguish that you're going through right now because of a relationship that is turned upside down or finances that never seem uh, to get any better or students, the, the thing that you're dealing with in school that is absolutely tearing you apart or the sin that you just can't get over, the lifestyle thing that you just can't let go of, the addiction that you just, oh man, it's got you in chains. God understands that. And he will lead you to a place where you can follow him. In fact, with the nation of Israel, look at this, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud, <laughs> that would have been interesting, um, to lead them along the way, and this would have been more interesting, by night in a pillar of fire um, to give them light, uh, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. You see, God had a path that was unusual, but he made it easy to follow. All they had to do was follow this way. Now, I'm not suggesting that following God is easy. Don't hear me say that. It is not. What I'm saying is that God provides the way for you and I to go. It's right here, contained in this book. It's his word. It's inspired by his Holy Spirit, and it's for you and I, for us to know the path to take. The problem is, is you and I get off the path so easily, don't we? I mean, we take different routes so easily. What, one of my favorite things in the eight years that I've lived here, um, and no offense if some of you fall into this category, um, but one of my favorite things uh, about living here is, um, it can be frustrating but also funny, um, is watching tourists drive around this island. I mean, it can be frustrating, let's face it, but it can also be hilarious. One day, a few years ago, I was um, turning left onto 278 out of where we live, and I looked to my right, and I saw a car on the golf cart path. <laughs> and for a moment, I thought, well, there must be doing maintenance there, but as I kind of turned the corner, I realized it was from Ohio, no offense to you who are from Ohio, they were lost, and they had gotten off the main road, off the path to where they were going. And how do you do that, by the way? <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> but that's what we do in our spiritual lives, don't we? 
We get off the main path of God's best for our lives, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves in bondage to things. And listen, I hear that some of you who are here today are in bondage, and you're in suffering because of things that have been pressed upon you, like you had no idea it was coming, and you did nothing to deserve it, and that's true. And my hope is, is last, that last week when we talked about it, you'd find solace in the fact that God knows and he will deliver. But let's face it, there are some of you and some of us, myself included, that we're in bondage because we're involved in things that keep us in bondage and we've gotten there ourselves. We've gotten there ourselves. We're slaves and we're the master all in the same. God provides a path. The principle is this. If we closely follow his path, doubt will begin to disappear and we will ultimately find salvation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love this. I want you to hear this. Please don't miss this. Paul, the apostle Paul says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is, what is that next word? Faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, will also provide a what? A way of what? Escape. He provides that way of escape for us that you may be able to endure it. I love it. Sometimes the bondage that we're in, sometimes the chains that we're in, we have put on ourselves. Earlier this week, we as a family were um, kind of discussing a, a, a decision that we have to make. And um, it, I, the decision doesn't matter for the purpose of this illustration, but we're discussing it. And I came home, and I'd been talking to God about this, and I felt like I had something so profound to say. And I came home, and I gathered everybody together, and I said, hey, listen, if we're supposed to do this, God will provide a way. And my wife, Cynthia, um, in her wisdom, called me the next day, and she said, um, Todd, God has already provided the way. We're just not following it. And she was right. She's never right about anything, but she was right about that. She threw something at me in the last service on that one. Listen, I want you to hear this. Sometimes being released from your bondage and, and walking into your salvation, it just means following God's path. It just means looking up and seeing the pillar of cloud or fire and, and following him. It's not easy to be a Christ follower. I've never said that. I would never say that. But the path is laid out right here. And you and I, I get off it every day. Every day. I have to get back on it every day. We have to follow his leading in our lives to find salvation. Follow his leading in our lives to find salvation. Secondly, it wasn't until Israel released their fear and self-reliance that they were in a position to trust God for salvation. I'm going to hit uh, point number two and three uh, kind of together because they kind of fit together and I'm going to hit them relatively fast. It wasn't until Israel released fear and self-reliance that they were in a position to then trust God for salvation. Um, there began to be grumbling and complaining, and if you read the rest of the story, which we're not going to discuss in this particular series, you'll find out that all they did was grumble and complain and grumble and complain and grumble and complain when they were out in the desert wandering, uh, getting to the place where they went to their promised land. And Moses had to deal with this. And so at the first grumbling and complaining, look, look what he said. This is, God told him to say this. Verse 13, chapter 14, Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today, for the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. Like at our greatest point of fear, we need to let go of that and we need to stand strong on God. We try to make it so hard. And I, re- I realize that the releasing of fear and the releasing of self-reliance sometimes isn't that easy, but sometimes it is that simple. We just need to let go of those things because God can take care of it. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed and when I'm pressed, I feel weak. I, I feel weak, and when I feel weak, I get angry. And boy, when we're, when we're pressed, uh, bad things happen. Uh, and weakness really sets in. Here, here's what the Apostle Paul said about weakness, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Are you weak this morning? God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will bo- boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, I'm, I want to tell you, I, I don't get this yet. Like, I'm still working on this because I'm not totally comfortable with my weaknesses. I don't know about you. But I do understand that if I do give up my weaknesses to God and trust in his strength, that it will result in power. Um, Look at the principle. Anxiety and shortcomings overtake us when we trust ourselves more than God. Anxiety and shortcomings overtake us when we trust ourselves more than God to get out of a situation. Listen, if you're weak today, good. (laughs) Good. That's great because that's the place where you can now begin to trust God. Take a look at this. Our weakness plus God's strength equals power. You want to have power instead of weakness? You want to, like, feel confident? Trust in him for your salvation and not in you. Our weakness plus God's strength equals power. Third point, Israel's salvation came when they did. What is that next word? Nothing. Nothing but allow God to save them. Israel's salvation came when they did nothing but allow God to save them. And it's in this point that our relationship with God drives us to a whole new level of giving up ourselves because we want to save ourselves or or we want the world to save us or we want someone else to save us or we want society to save us and we can do nothing in ourselves when it comes to eternity and it and it's the case that we cannot do anything in ourselves when it comes to many of the things that we need saving from here on earth. Moses said this in that very next verse in Exodus 14, 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. It's God that does the saving. It's God that brought the people out of their dilemma. It's God that will rescue you out of your suffering one day. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day. It's God that will uh, take whatever Uh, frustration you're going through that's debilitating and he'll take you out of that you only have to be silent paul talks about this in his letter to the church in ephesus um, in ephesians 2 8 through 9 he says this for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works 
so that no one may boast. And the principle is this, we will not receive salvation when we try to find it ourselves. I'm talking about eternal salvation here. Yeah, here on this side of earth, there are some things that we have to do. There are some things that we have to give up. But when it comes to eternity in heaven with God, there's nothing that any of you or I can do to solve that problem. We won't receive salvation when we try to find it ourselves. And just when we think in the story that the salvation is all about us, it's not. It's not all about us. Take a look at point number four. This is where we'll end today. God's work in delivering Israel was for their salvation, but it was also for his glory. That's it. He loves you and he loves me enough that he sent Jesus to come and die this death and to be raised three days later so that sin could be defeated. But it wasn't just about, the story's not just about you and me. It's not only about you and me. It's about him receiving glory. It was for the nation of Israel and it is for us too. Check this out, Exodus 14.4. I love this. Um, and, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. We just saw that. And, and, or we're going to see in a minute. And I will get, what is that next word? Glory, glory over Pharaoh and his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. It was about his glory. I mean, the salvation incident, the salvation circumstances, the salvation event that happened in terms of the whole nation of Israel, we're going to read it in a moment, going out onto dry land through the Red Sea is a thing that brings God the glory. Yes, it was their salvation, but it brought him glory. It brought him glory. Take a look at this. We're going to read uh, this account. Some of you have seen this on TV. You've even seen it in books maybe, but, but reading it, Oh, man, it just jumps off the page. Take a look at verse 21 of Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel, they went into the midst of the sea on, on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. But the Egyptians pursued, and they went in after them into the midst of the sea. But all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and, and in the morning watch, the Lord um, in the pillar of fire and of, of a cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them. That's what he said he was going to do, isn't it? That's what he said he was going to do. The Lord was going to fight for Israel, and he is, and now their enemies are realizing it. The Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. The sinister part of me loves this right here. I, this is you know, bad, I realize, but I love this part. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand out over the sea so that the water may come back over the Egyptians uh, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Yeah. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned. They covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, and not one of them remained. But the people of Israel 
They walked on dry ground, dry land through the sea, the waters being a wall to them to the left and the right. Thus the Lord, look at verse 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. That's a good thing, by the way, that kind of fear. And they believed. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. God got the glory for this wonderful salvation. He's the one that receives glory from our salvation. And I love it because in uh, chapter 15, 1 and 2, and we'll end here, Moses begins to understand this, and he gives God the glory. He, Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him, just like Andrea said earlier today. I love it. Here's the principle. Salvation is intended for our gain, but it's also for God's glory. If we think for a minute this is all about us, we're wrong. We're wrong. This is about him. It's about him. And I want to tell you something this morning. When we follow God's path for salvation, death is victorious. When we follow God's path for salvation, death is victorious. Some of you know the, the story of, of my mom, and the story just continues. Um, th three months ago, she was fine. Um, now, today, she's dying of cancer. She's down in Tampa. My mom and dad have been together for 52 years, been married for 48, I think. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this cancer from 12 years ago has returned. And my dad is head over heels in love. And he texted me last night, and he said, I walked out of the hospital last night. And this was like 11 o'clock last night. My dad's never awake at 11 o'clock, ever in his life, ever been awake at 11 o'clock. But he's awake now. And he said, you wouldn't believe the text that I just got from someone on my phone. And it was this verse that we just sang about, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? My mom's close to going to heaven. She's real close. She's kind of jealous of us right now. Pretty soon we're going to be jealous of her. And I know that and I'm confident of that because I know that when she was a, a, a kid in high school, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She surrendered her life and gave it up to God. And trusted him as our Savior. And if you're here today and you've never done that, you can have the opportunity to do that in just a moment. You can have the opportunity to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're receiving that salvation that God began, not just with Jesus, but all the way from the beginning of time in his story with us in humanity. And if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, maybe there's something in your life that you need to surrender. You need to give up to him. Maybe there's something that you have in your life that's actually continuing to keep yourself in bondage. You're your own master. And it's time to finally release that and give that to him so that you can truly give him glory for the salvation that you have. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this amazing story. It's not just a story of you and a group of two and a half million people. 
And it's not just the story of you and me, God. And it's not just the story of you and us, God. This is a story that you started from the beginning of time with the problem that we caused in the Garden of Eden by our sin. But God, you gave us a promise. And that promise is is that you will come and save. You did save the nation of Israel from the bondage of slavery. And God, your son, Jesus, came to this earth, and we're going to celebrate in two weeks. He died a brutal death and rose again from the dead so that we can have all of our sins covered and taken away. And Father God, we give you the glory and the honor for that. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, if you've never believed that he died for you, I want to challenge you and invite you to say yes to him today. Maybe you've been skeptical of this for all your life, a few months, a few weeks. But maybe today there's something that's tugging at your heart, there's something that's pulling at your heart, and you're ready to put your trust into him for salvation. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in him, I'm going to say a prayer out loud, and I want to invite you to say it to him and and the quietness of this room mean it and it's not about the words it's really about the intent of your heart and it goes like this God thank you for saving me thank you for sending Jesus to die for me today I admit that it's my failures and my sin that keeps me from you but today I trust that Jesus is my salvation. If you prayed that prayer this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up high. I won't embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you if you raise that hand. If you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand straight up high. Thank you so much. Anyone else this morning? Pray that prayer. Keep it up for a moment. pray for you. Those of you who have your hands up, keep them up just for a moment longer. Father, I pray for those, a handful of people here today who have said yes to you. And God, if they were to die today, they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will spend eternity with you in heaven like my mom will soon because of the decisions she made. And God, I pray that you would help those who said yes to you today to further anchor themselves in you in your word. If you said yes to him today, I want to encourage you. At the bottom of that worship folder is a place for you to fill out your name and email address, phone number. I want to follow up with you. You can take that and take it back to guest services. And they want to give you a Bible. You can put your hands down this morning. Father, I pray for those who said yes to you today. God, I also want to pray for those who are here today. And there is something in their life that they just need to give up. They need to lay it at your feet. And they need to just surrender that to you. Give them the courage and the strength to do that, Father. Help them to get out of that bondage that they're in so that they can have a fruitful, abundant life with you. And God, I pray for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. God, may we realize that the salvation that you offer is not just for our gain, but God, it is for your glory. And we want to give you the praise and the honor because 
this is all.